Joey, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose, where we're going, we don't need Rose. No, I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, I'd like to think that in the future, you and I might be relics, but for right now, we are still, you know, vibrant and, and exciting people who have a lot to offer the podcasting world. That's right. We've still got a whole life ahead of us because we're both in our 20s, uh, ready to go, <laughs> whole life ahead of us. We, we haven't been touched by, you know, the ups and downs that life can throw. Yeah, we're fresh-faced and fancy-free. That's right. And if we were touched by all those things, we would just hop in our time machines and and go back and fix them, right? That's correct, but I still don't know what I'd make a time machine out of. What about you, Mike? I would have to say... Mine would probably be a pogo stick. <laughs> With my luck, it'd be like a garbage truck. <laughs> so I'd like to be able to travel through time, but I always have to drive around this like disgusting, smelly, big, <laughs> you know, slow, lumbering vehicle. That, that sounds about right for me. Hey, it's going to be a happy, fun-packed episode with that kind of outlook. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are feeling it today. Wow, well, Phil, yeah. why don't you tell people uh, tell people what we're talking about in this episode and why we're rambling on about relics and time travel. Yeah, we're going to be doing uh, going after the ending of Back to the Future 3 or the whole Back to the Future trilogy because it's all one story. And also uh, 1997's The Relic, which is a film that probably not many of you have seen. I don't know about that. I, I feel like it was one of those films that, like, it didn't wasn't a big hit at the box office, but it made some money. I mean, it opened at number one, and then I, I feel like it was one of those movies that probably played on HBO or Showtime ad nauseum, you know? Yeah, probably over in the States. It probably probably played a bit more over in the States than it did over here, to be honest. Yeah, I can see that. I think maybe it did do better over here uh, than it did over on your side of the pond. But I, I think it's, it's maybe a movie that people have forgotten about because it wasn't yeah, one of yeah. those, you know, hits that lasted a long time but i think people might have seen it yeah let's have a just a, a quick look on box office mojo it's uh it made worldwide it made uh well it made in the u.s it made 33 million all right but you figure back in the night late 90s that's the equivalent of like probably a not too shabby 70 to 80 million dollar film again kind of movie that people have seen but not like everyone's seen yeah you know? yeah yeah all right well we're gonna do an after the ending for it whether you like it or not yeah and we're also going to be looking at our top five favorite performances of sandra bullock yes yes it should be nice and fun and we're also going to have a special bonus treat this week. We are going to go into our, uh, do a little bit of a deep dive into the biggest film pretty much ever, uh, Avengers Endgame. Yeah, that came up at the time of recording. That's just come out. And both Mike and myself have seen it because uh, we wanted to see it quick before spoilers came out. But we'll be talking about it later on at the end of the episode. We will be going into spoiler territory, but this is the first warning and there will be more warnings going coming up to it but yes it's one of the biggest films of all time so far yeah we have a lot of thoughts on it but yeah like you said it's gonna be at the very very end of the episode after after the bloopers and everything so if you haven't seen it yet you can just listen to the episode as normal uh and then just stop it after the outtakes you don't even have to worry about skipping ahead or anything like that so we'll warn you again when the time comes but that's coming up at the end of the episode we like to do that for the really 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 big films that come out i think we've only done this once or twice before uh then we did it for star wars the last jedi yeah and the fact it took it apparently taken one 
1.2 billion dollars in its opening weekend i'd say it's a big film yeah it's that's that's, that's mind-boggling is what it is but (laughs) uh so that is that's what's in store for this episode all right well let's get things started shall we do you want to start with uh, the relic we'll keep people in a little bit of suspense for back to the future that sounds like a plan to me mike do you want to give us a description of what goes on in the in the film sure thing so the relic 1997 directed by peter hyams starring penelope ann miller and tom sizemore and uh, an anthropologist for the Museum of Natural History in Chicago named John Whitney is studying South American tribesmen when he drinks a soup made by the tribe. We see him later desperately boarding a ship bound for the U.S., but when it arrives in America, the crew is dead. The case is investigated by Chicago detective Vincent D'Augusta, played by Tom Sizemore, and his partner Sergeant Hollingsworth. But meanwhile, at the museum, Dr. Margot Green, played by Penelope Ann Miller, studies John Whitney's effects and finds a statue of a mythical monster called the Cathoga. Then a series of murders start happening in the museum that are similar to the ship that Whitney was aboard, causing Lieutenant D'Augusta to close the museum to try and find the killer. But politics intervene and a huge museum exhibit opening goes on as scheduled with the city's luminaries and politicians in attendance. And that's when the killer is revealed, a monstrous beast that attacks a group of partygoers, causing a huge panic. Sergeant Hollingsworth leads a group of survivors out through an old tunnel under the museum, and Margot discovers that the creature is actually a transformed John Whitney, who mutated after drinking the tribesman's soup. The creature crashes into the lab, but Margot manages to start a fire that causes a massive explosion, shielding herself in a huge biological tank while the Cathoga is destroyed. And that is pretty much the uh, the relic. That's pretty good. Yeah, you summed it all up very well. Thank you, thank you. So, Phil, how do you feel about this movie? Uh, I only saw it once, I think, near when it came out. Oh, mm-hmm. probably, I don't know, it wasn't the cinema. So it must have been like a DVD, so probably the year after, a couple of years after. And I, I enjoyed it, to be honest. It was a good good thriller. Uh, I like Penelope Ann Miller and Tom Sizemore. It was nice seeing Tom Sizemore in a lead role and also, like, as a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Because that was, a, like, a rare thing for him. Right. Uh, but, yeah, and it was a, a nice setup. The monster design was pretty good. I think Stan Winston was involved in the design of the creature. Yep. Uh, yeah, all in all, an enjoyable, not nothing nothing too amazing for me, but an enjoy, enjoyable horror thriller. Right, right. What, what about you? What do you think of it? You know, I mean, I feel largely the same way, but I, I will admit I do have a soft spot for this film. Um, I, I just I do like these kinds of monster movies, mm-hmm. uh, and it is like a good like B movie, but more maybe like a B plus movie. I, I actually saw it on opening night, and then I went back and saw it a second time in theaters because I really did enjoy it a lot. Uh, but I do have to give it credit because it's actually based on a book by um, by a pair of authors named Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child, uh, also collectively known as Preston and Child, who have basically become my favorite authors Uh, i read every book they put out and this was sort of in the in the books it was the start of a series that's gone on for 14 books now i think wow starring this character agent pendergast who was actually taken out of the story for the movie they removed him and even though the books that have followed have all been about agent pendergast um and degusta does feature in some of them not all of them um, but uh, it's a great book series. They've done a couple of spin-off series or, or non-related series. I read all of them. I, I read their solo books. I'm a huge fan of everything they do. So, uh, And I read the first book because I like this movie so much, so I tracked down the book, and then I just started reading them you know, um, from there. So, so I, my soft spot is doubled because I like the film, but I also give it a lot of credit for introducing me to you know my favorite authors. So, so yeah, so I like it. I like it. <laughs> I'm partial to it. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I must track. I've got a... It's one of those ones because you mentioned the book before, and I can't remember. I've got a feeling I might have read it, but it's around about that time I was reading loads of things, just you know, constantly, you know, as much as I could get. So lots of things sort of blended into one, and watching the films and things, 
and my memory i'm not quite clear but i, I think i'm going to track down a book though and uh, give it another go yeah it's it's really good and yeah. it's it's they left a lot out for the for the movie i mean if you like the movie or if you don't like the movie i, I would still recommend reading the book because it's a, a whole different animal so to speak Okay, cool. All right, well, Phil, why don't you get us started then and tell us what happens in your day after. Okay, then. Uh, the Gusta and the police do another search of the museum and the sewers. It looks like they got everything, and it seems that the murders have been solved. Things start getting tidied up. Dr. Margot Green realizes that the Cathoga and the fungus that created it is something incredible and needs to be studied further. So she gets things ready, gets clean samples, and starts working on it. Unbeknownst to everyone else, though, some of the leaves that when the crates that uh, where it all started that have the strange fungus on were dropped during all the chase and the fights and everything and one of the police dogs on the scene happened to eat it the dog was taken back to the police canine unit uh, and Augusta and dr green both agreed that they will keep in touch with various things in particular there's a bit of an attraction but it's not really that but it's mainly a professional courtesy you know so the sharing information should anything more crop up and that's my day after i like it i like where you're going with it i'm i have a feeling that dog may pop up again but we'll see. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Uh, but what's going on with your day after that? Okay, so I have to say I had to work really hard on this because... Oh, you've, you had the books. I, I wanted to not introduce Pendergast, even though I, I really wanted to, but I, I felt like that would yeah, be yeah. a cheat because he's not in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I also know kind of like where all the book series stuff goes, which none of it's really a sequel sequel to Relic. Only the one book is, but um, I really kind of tried to take it in a different direction from all of my, my other knowledge of this series. So Fair enough, yeah, yeah. That's my little my little disclaimer. Well, hit me with it. After a lot of noise and hubbub around the museum and months of construction to fix the damage done by the Cathoga, life is slowly returning to normal for Margot Green. As the one who discovered the origins of the Cathoga, she's become a scientific celebrity, and she's bombarded with job offers from some of the most prestigious universities and think tanks in the world. As she's pondering these offers one morning, she comes across a news article that catches her attention. It's a deep dive on deforestation in South America, and the article mentions that in a recent development effort, the natives known as the Waxalotl tribe had been forcibly relocated by the clear-cutting. A moment of cold panic flashed through Margot's system. The Waxalotl tribe was the tribe John Whitney had been studying before he became the Cathoga. Unsure of what to do, she calls Lieutenant Augusta and shares her concerns that there may be another Cathoga incident in the future if the entity responsible for the deforestation wasn't careful. Augusta wasn't sure what they could do, but he told her he'd reach out to a friend of his in the Environmental Protection Agency and see if they had any jurisdiction. Feeling somewhat relieved, Margot thanks him for his help and hangs up the phone. Then, after a few minutes deep in thought, she picks up her phone and begins dialing a new number. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. Hmm. A new number. Yeah. Mm. It's 867-5309. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and to be fair, I did not take the time to look up the actual name of the tribe that was in, I don't think they named them the movie or the book, so I just made up my own tribe name for anybody out there who's a, a stickler for details. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, no, I like it. I like where it's going. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, let's hear what's going on with your immediate aftermath then. Okay, well, Dr. Margot Green's research into the fungus and the cathoga has given many incredible results, and she has started writing a number of different papers based on all her research. She also brought in other scientists from different fields to help and give a different perspective on things. Degosta checks in with Dr. Green every couple of weeks, and things are going well. However, his latest case involves some murders that appear similar to the Cathoga incident. It took a while to determine this, though, due to the bodies being brutally ripped apart, even worse than when the Cathoga attacked. It also seems that there's more than one murderer, as attacks took place at different parts of the city around about the same time. While stopping to get a coffee a few days later, D'Agosta listened to a couple of police officers in the queue. He was barely paying attention when suddenly he heard them mention how a few of the police dogs had gotten sick recently and then escaped when they'd been taken to the vet. 
and that's my immediate aftermath. Mm, all right. Well, I think I see what's happening here, and I, I think it's slightly terrifying. Mm, could well be. Could well be. <laughs> Uh, but what's going on then with uh, with yours and the deforestation in South America? Okay, well, Douglas Lincoln looks out over the devastated forest and wipes his glasses. The humidity in the rainforest is so high that his glasses fog up every couple of minutes. When his good friend Vincent D'Augusta had called him with his concerns, it didn't take long for him to move into action. The Cathoga case had made national headlines, and Doug had learned long ago to trust Augusta with his life. If he said there was danger of another Cathoga incident, Lincoln would put the weight of the EPA behind making sure such a thing didn't happen. But if he was being honest, he didn't exactly know where to start. Since the Waxolotl tribe had been relocated, no one had spotted them. And while his native guides were very knowledgeable, they had largely been guessing at places the tribe might have gone. After a few minutes rest, Lincoln's party picks up and starts moving again. Several weeks later, after many false leads, Lincoln can feel his pulse quickening as they come across another Waxolotl campsite. It's clear from the embers in the fire that the tribe had been here just a day before. Lincoln knows they're close now. With the sun going down, he and his search party begin to set up their own camp when they hear an unearthly scream unlike anything they've ever heard before. Just then, a giant creature that looks like it's part elephant, part lion, and all demon comes crashing through the brush. It roars again, and that's when the killing begins. Ooh. And if you know anything about me at all, you know that that's where I'm going to leave you for now. Okay. Oh, I like it. Thank you. That's a big Cathoga. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, let's hear what's going on with yours. I want to hear what uh, what the wrap-up with these mutated police dogs may or may not be. Okay. But uh, go ahead and give us your long term. D'Agosta had managed to put together a task force. Dr. Green was a consultant. It seemed the Cathoga syndrome was spreading. It had started with the police dogs, but had moved to other animals, and the death toll was rising. There was even rumours of flying Cathoga. All the infected creatures needed to eat people to live. The task force had managed to kill a handful of creatures, but they had no clear picture on how many they were actually dealing with. Dr. Green had also determined some strange news. The fungus was mutating. It seemed to be reactivating dead cells. D'Agosta hoped that they could wipe out all the creatures before things got out of hand. A call came through. They cornered a couple of creatures a few blocks away. D'Agosta headed off to help out. He didn't hold out much hope. That's my long term. Mm. Ominous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there, may, there may be a little bit more, but oh, uh, okay. All right. that's my long term. All right. uh, but go on, what's, uh, you hit me. What's going on with this super duper big demon in the, the rainforest? Okay. Lincoln runs wildly, unsure of where he is. He knows that this new Cathoga creature is still on his trail because every so often he can hear its roar and it never seems to get farther away, no matter how fast or far he runs. He doesn't even know how long he's been running now. Was it hours? Days? He can't be sure. Lincoln rests against a tree when he hears the Cathoga roar again, and this time it sounds incredibly close. He breaks into a run, and this time he only gets a few hundred yards before he bursts out of the rainforest into a gigantic clearing. It's another clear-cut section of what used to be rainforest. He keeps running, but the Cathoga bursts out of the foliage and has Lincoln in his sights, and there's nowhere for him to hide. As the creature bears down on him, Lincoln suddenly hears gunshots and the sounds of a helicopter. He sees the Cathoga fall and notices two massive darts sticking out of its hide. The Cathoga begins to demutate right before his eyes. Lincoln looks up to see Margot Green in the co-pilot seat of a helicopter with the InGen logo plastered across the side of it. <laughs> Leaning out an open door is a sharpshooter with a big nasty-looking gun and a hunter's scope atop it. The helicopter lands and Margot gets out to meet the dazed Lincoln. Hey, Doug, Margot says. Long time no see. How did you, is all Lincoln can get out before he fell to his knees. I knew there was going to be trouble, she says, so I made a few calls of my own, nodding at the InGen helicopter. Then she helps Lincoln up as a second helicopter lands and an InGen team rushes out to collect the remains of the Cathoga. 
And that's the end. Oh, very good. I like that. Thank you. Thank nice you. Ha- nice having Ingen involved. Yeah, a little, uh, you know, I was I was thinking about using uh, Wayland yutani but I was like, ah, oh, we do that all the time. So I was like, who else would be interested in mutated, you know, DNA? And I was like, hmm, Ingen, maybe they can use that when they're clon- cloning some dinosaurs for Jurassic Park, you know? Excellent. Yeah. Thanks. Yes. Uh, mm, okay. All right. Well, you hinted that there may be more. What do you got? Yeah. So we have the credits and then we cut to... Uh, a hospital, and there's a man lying in the bed. And Sheriff Deputy Rick Grimes wakes up in a hospital bed. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be anyone around. In pain, Rick slowly gets up to investigate. <laughs> and that's my post-credit scene <laughs> that's awesome. for the rally. Ah, I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Really Thank nicely you. done. Very nicely done. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of fun. All right. Very cool. Um, okay. So that is that is the relic. Phil, do you have any relic trivia for us? I do. Yeah. Harrison Ford was the first choice to play Vincent D'Agosta, but he obviously didn't take it. Uh, but the character of D'Agosta, you've mentioned uh, F- FBI agent Pendergast in the books. Uh, in the film, D'Agosta was a mix, apparently, of the two characters from the book, D'Agosta and Pendergast. Yeah, let me let me let me clear that up. He's really not. Yeah. He's really just Augusta. Okay. Pendergast is like this whole sort of otherworldly like he's got this whole characteristics to him this like, you know, Sherlock Holmesy type. I don't know how to describe him. Is he a bit like Agent Cooper or something as well? A bit weird. Uh... Yeah, like Sherlock Holmes mixed with Agent Cooper mixed with Fox Mulder, you know, mixed with like somebody oh, who okay. n- knows way more about the whole world than he should you know it's a very a very intellectual yeah, yeah. genteel southern you know character always wears like black suits even if it's like 100 degrees out like it's it's a whole oh gotcha yeah yeah they really i know they said that i've heard that before but they really just took Augusta and let tom tom sizemore play him cool okay no problem <laughs> well, well that's uh, that's what they said though there was a mix but obviously having not read the book i'd sure yeah i like sure. uh I get the I get the impression, yeah, because because what I recall, Augusta's just like a straightforward police guy, isn't he? Yeah, I think they the they they probably combined in terms of like what discoveries who made and sort of how they kind of help and thing. You know, I'm sure there's some scenes from the movie that yeah, yeah. were Pendergast in the book, but as far as the character itself goes, that's you know definitely. Oh, that I makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the Cathoga only has about four or five minutes of screen time in the film. Hmm, interesting. Uh, and uh, the Relic was also the second film in which Penelope Ann Miller plays a character called Margot. Uh, do you know, can you remember what the first one is, Mike? Uh, yes, it was The Shadow, wasn't it? That's correct. 1994 Dang, yes. The Shadow. Nice. And that's a point for you. And we went after the ending for that one back in episode 82. Very cool. If you want to have a listen to that one. And from what I recall, both our endings were pretty fine for that. I think they were. As they usually are. Yeah, of course, of course. Oh, I'm, I'm impressed with myself for pulling that one out of the old memory banks there. That's, that's a good one, good one. But that's uh, that's the relic. Very cool. All right, let's move on then to the venerated and celebrated and well-beloved Back to the Future trilogy uh, slash Back to the Future 3. I mean, like you said, it's all really one big story. So while technically the movie we're following up is Back to the Future 3, I, I, I don't know about you, but I sort of approached it just as a, you know, an after the ending for the whole the whole story, the whole trilogy, you know, all together. Yeah, that's very true. So uh, in, in the spirit of things, I've done, uh, I've decided to do my my synopsis for all three films. Okay. So buckle up, baby, because when this thing hits 88 miles an hour, it's going to be at least two hours for me to get through the whole thing. So, uh, no, no, I think I've, uh, hopefully, it won't take that long. All right. Okay, so Doc Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd, invents a time machine and uses a DeLorean to, to make it work. It also requires a specific amount of power to work, and he also needs to hit a certain speed for, for because it's science and it's a film. Uh, along with his young friend, Marty McFly, played by, played by Michael J. Fox, Along with his young friend Marty, Doc travels to the past 
where Marty has to ensure that his own parents get together. They then travel to the future to sort out Marty's kids. And then they go to an alternate present where Marty's nemesis, Biff Tannen, has earned millions using a sports almanac from the future. Then Doc is thrown back to the Wild West and Marty heads off there to save him. While there, Doc falls in love with Clara Clayton, played by Mary Steenbergen, and Doc stays in 1885 with her. Marty makes it back home with his girlfriend Jennifer to 1985, but the DeLorean is destroyed. Uh, Just after that happens, a train time machine appears with Doc, Clara and their two sons, Jules and Vern, on board. And Doc tells Marty and Jennifer that their future will be shaped by their choices and actions, and they are free to do what they want. After saying goodbye, the train heads off to an unknown time. And that's the Back to the Future trilogy. Very nicely done. I think you summed it up quite succinctly. Thank you very much. Obviously, lots more happened, but we all know Back to the Future. I was going to say, I think most people have seen Back to the Future, have seen the movies, so I don't think we need to go through every single event of the films. Yeah, it it is a nice... uh, I do like the fact it is tell one story, but there are callbacks in each one and things like that. But it's uh, it's a classic classic film series. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, I think it's pretty clear we're both... Uh, you know, big fans. What do you have a favorite of the trilogy? Uh, yeah, it was for a long time. I think it was the first one, but um, in recent years, I think it's the second one. Yeah, because there's a lot more going on the second one. Because I think, I think when I first saw that, I think with lots of people, it, it was almost like overload. Because you know, they go to the future, then it's back into 19, uh, 1955 and there's there's lots of you know, there's the divergent timelines and things like that. But uh, I really like the whole fact it really delves into the whole concept of time travel and what it can do and how dangerous it can be, really. Yeah, yeah. But what about you? What do you think of it? What's your favorite one? I am hands down an unabashed, humongous fan of Back to the Future 2. Yeah, um, yeah. And I always have been. I mean, it's been my favorite for, you know, 30 years, however long the films have been out. Um, I, I love the other two. And I, I do, you know, of course, the first one is, is a stone cold classic. But the second film just appeals to everything I love about about time travel and science fiction and movies. And I, I love the humor and I love the multiple characters upon multiple characters and the different timelines and i love like you know at the end when marty goes back to 1955 and sees his other past self there um i just think yeah it's yeah yeah absolutely brilliant film i i love it and I've, I've seen that movie i've probably seen all three films you know a, a good you know handful of times each you know the first one probably i've seen 10 or 15 times and then the third one maybe just a couple times i've probably seen the second film you know 40 or 50 times like, yeah, I yeah, really love yeah, it. Yeah, it is. It's just it's got so many good bits in it. Yeah, it really does. It's a classic. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. They're all, but the third one as well. I do. I, it was nice having a bit of a, the Wild West thing. Oh yeah, yeah. It's. I think it's. I think because it spends a bit. Because the whole film's mainly set in that time period. Yeah, I, that's probably why. I think after the second one, you wanted to be a bit more kapow and all over the place, but obviously it wasn't. Right, right. Well, I still I like all three of them, but the second is definitely yep. my favorite. Cool, cool, cool. cool. But uh, that was what happens in the uh, in the trilogy. But what do you have happening the day after Back to the Future 3, Mike? All right, well, recognizing that his future is his own, Marty decides to strike out on a new path, not wanting to end up working in the corporate world like his 2015 self. He graduates high school, and then instead of going straight to college, he decides to take a year off and see the world. He wants to gain experience and figure out how to be the best version of himself, having seen what his life looks like when he's not. As he gets ready to leave for his trip, a package arrives for him. It's a small pouch of gold, and the letter accompanying it says, Marty, enjoy your trip. I feel that it's the beginning of many great things for you. Doc. Marty sets off to Europe with the unexpected windfall Doc provided him in tow, and he goes on a year-long exploration of the world. When he returns to Hill Valley... Jennifer is waiting for him as she had promised she would. She's now in her second year of college, and Marty's considering enrolling. One afternoon, however, Marty's surprised to see the time train suddenly appear, and Doc steps off. After they share a hug, Marty asks Doc if anything is wrong. 
Oh, no, no, Marty. Clara and the kids are fine, thanks. There's nothing to worry about right now. No, Marty, I've just had some time to think. Let's talk about the future, shall we? And that's my day after. Hmm, okay. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, thank you. In the meantime, though, let's hear what's going on with your day after. Yeah, Marty and Jennifer hug, kiss, and then head back to their respective homes to check that everything's okay. All seems well, and after chatting with his parents, Marty goes to his room and sleeps for hours. He was exhausted after his adventures. Waking up the next morning, he took a long shower and joined his family for breakfast. He just let the conversation wash over him. It was good to be home, and everything was back to normal. Well, as normal as this new and improved timeline was, he realised he hadn't actually spent that much time with the family since the first, the events of the first film. There were a few things he still had to learn, but it was all good. Marty then spent the day with Jennifer. Then as he headed home, Marty heard a now familiar noise, like a crack and a bang. There was a flash of light, and Marty saw a motorcycle appear. It was covered in um, various wires and pipes, and there was a flux capacitor flashing where the fuel tank should have been. <laughs> the figure on the bike took off their helmet. Marty saw a young woman who looked familiar. Hi, Grandpa, she said. My name's May. You need to come with me. Doc Brown needs your help. And that's my day after. Oh, I like it. Thank you very much. I like it. Another, another time travel adventure coming up. Yes, yes, yes. But that's, uh, that's what's going on with your immediate aftermath, though. All right. Well, Doc and Marty sit on a nearby bench, and Doc explains to Marty, You see, I've just come to understand time better as I've traveled through it. I was so worried about you changing the time stream that I never considered whether or not it could be for the better. But I've learned now that there are multiple paths and choices, and not all of them lead to disaster. In fact, most of them don't. The time stream is very flexible, and it seems to try its best to reorient itself to the most positive outcome. Sometimes it just needs a little tweaking. So I've got a few tips for you that I think will help you in life. How does that sound? Sure, Doc, Marty replies. You know I trust you. Okay, you may want to make some notes, then, Doc says. In 1998, a computer company is going to start. It has a funny name, but you should invest heavily in it. It's called Google. Pay attention to them. <laughs> also, you're a Chargers fan, right? You may want to consider becoming a Patriots fan instead. <laughs> Trust me, it'll be a lot easier for you. Oh, yeah, Star Wars is going to make a huge comeback. In fact, everything old becomes new again, so keep an eye on that trend. <laughs> and Doc goes on and on, giving Marty information that will make navigating the 21st century easier. Finally, when Doc is finished, Marty says, Thanks, Doc. I know this couldn't have been an easy decision for you. I have the utmost faith in you, Marty, Doc says, and smiles. And that's my immediate aftermath. Hmm. Okay. So we've changed stances a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I don't know where this is going. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's going anywhere all that interesting, I like it. but I like we'll it see. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. It's good. All right. Well, let's hear what's going on in your immediate aftermath then. Okay. It had been a close call, but Marty and May had managed to avoid the T-Rex. <laughs> but they lost the bike. Oh, no. I still can't believe you made a time machine out of a Harley Davidson, said Marty. <laughs> May laughed as she looked at a small device on her wrist. Looks like Doc's train's just over the next ridge, said May. It all looks clear, so let's go. The two of them moved through the wooded area. I still can't believe they brought back dinosaurs in the future and put them in a theme park, whispered Marty. They made it to the top of the ridge and saw <laughs> Doc's train. So we both referenced Jack Jurassic Park in our in our for the end. <laughs> yes, yes, Just different ones. That's yes. funny. Yeah, so they made it to the top of the ridge and saw Doc's train. It had crashed and left a huge gouge in the earth. They could see Doc standing shakily near the engine. His arms were held high due to the fact that the three armoured individuals standing next to him, uh, the armour had the word Ingen on the side, had wow, loud shotguns really? pointed at Doc. Honest to <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. It's crazy it's in the stiff and endings, though. It really is. And I, like I said, I, yeah. I, it was, I almost went with Wayland yutani I just didn't want to you know, go dip into the same well too many times. So I was like, eh, who else yeah. can I do? so funny it's bizarre because when you said engine in the relic one i was going what <laughs> go figure all right great minds yeah. think alike i guess yeah yeah uh, great scott whispered marty <laughs> on seeing this yeah they heard a cracking noise behind them and turned and saw another armored figure wearing the engine armor pointing a gun at them as they raised their arms the figure seemed to stumble a moment and then quickly dropped the gun oh boy said the figure my name's sam could you tell me what's going on here 
<laughs> and that's my immediate aftermath. Would that, would that Sam maybe have uh, taken a quantum leap? <laughs> that's a hell of a quantum leap in your logic, Mike, but maybe. <laughs> okay. Could be some other Sam, I guess. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Very nicely done. I like it. Thank you. That's my immediate aftermath. What's going on with your long term? Then? Okay. What's Marty doing with all this information? Well, you'll find out. It is 2015. Marty and Jennifer had gotten married and now have three kids, Christopher, Lloyd, and Leah. Marty's a billionaire. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> nice. Yeah, I like that. Marty's a billionaire, thanks to shrewd investing. He's never had to work a day in his life, but he spends most of his time instead spearheading charitable causes. Thanks to Marty's donations and fundraising, he's helped cure many forms of cancer, gotten better school funding across the country, increased the nutritional value of food for mass consumption, reduced gun violence, improved retirement benefits for the average citizen, and helped to improve America's international relations with other countries. Wow. He never enters the political arena, but instead chooses to work towards the betterment of mankind without any undue political influence. Doc stops by to visit Marty every so often, occasionally dropping him a hint or two about something in the future that can help Marty. The kids just know him as Grandpa Brown, but they love whenever he comes to visit and brings them the most unique toys and souvenirs. On one of Doc's visits, as he and Marty sit on the porch together, Marty says, Let me ask you something, Doc. How'd you know I was going to make the right choices? Did you go to the future and make sure it all turned out okay? Doc smiles and says, I never needed to, Marty. You've always been one of the best people I've known in any time period. And they sit and watch the sun go down as the sound of children and grandchildren playing fill the air. And that's the end. Oh, I like that. That's a, that's a nice, that's a proper proper closure. I like thanks. That. Thanks. I know. I yeah. went for the more philosophical ending and you went for the more action-packed ending. So I like that yeah, we have yeah. a little bit of a, a dichotomy here, you know? Yeah. No, but I like that. I could see that. It's, it was nice some uh, using, using the knowledge of the future for good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what Marty would do. He's a good guy, you know? Yeah. No, very good. I like it. Thank you. All right, well, let's hear your long term then. How does yours all wrap up? Okay, it turned out that Sam was another time traveler, but one who jumped from body to body. Mm-hmm. He jumped this time to ensure that Doc Brown's flux capacitor technology did not fall into the hands of InGen. <laughs> it, seemed, it seemed that they wanted to use it to uh, go back in time and get dinosaurs the easy way. <laughs> Sam was still not quite sure how he would do this, but now Marty May and Sam had followed Doc and his captors back to a large InGen high-tech base in the dinosaur theme park. Sam had suited up again and pretended he had captured Marty and May, and now they were sneaking around the compound. Turning a corner, Marty bumped into another soldier. The man turned, and Marty cursed as he saw the familiar face of Biff looking <laughs> back at him. Well, 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 said future Biff. What are you buttheads doing here? Let me see your IDs. Thinking fast, Marty pointed behind Biff and cried out, What's that? Future Biff laughed and said, I'm not falling for that one. There was suddenly a bright light and a crashing sound from behind future Biff. A small phone booth had suddenly appeared and electricity <laughs> sparked around the top of it. The door opened and two young men stepped out. <laughs> Whoa, said the tallest of the young men. He paused and seeing future Biff begin to raise his gun, the young man quickly said, remember the trash can. <laughs> and that's my long term for Back to the Future. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, I like it very much. I like how many times. I'm sure you could have fit more time travelers in. Oh, I could have had so yeah, many in there, but, but yes. You definitely yeah. picked some of the good ones. Thank you very much. Very nice. Lots of fun. <laughs> Um, well, in another uh, ironic twist or coincidence, I have a an after the credit scene. Oh, okay. Uh, but for you know a different film than than you did. So yeah, yeah, hit me with it. So you know, fades to black, goes to credits, all that comes back up. The year is 2016. Marty wakes up to a flash of light and an incredible noise to see that Doc has landed the time train in his backyard. Jennifer mumbles in complaint, then turns over and goes back to sleep. As Marty goes outside to greet Doc, Doc rushes off the train in a near panic. Marty, you've got to do something. It's terrible. The future's taking a terrible turn. What is it, Doc? Is everything okay with the kids? With Jennifer? Yes, yes, they're fine, Doc replies. It's the president. Something has to be done about the person who's about to be elected president. Don't tell me it's Biff, says Marty. 
Worse, says Doc ominously. Much, much worse. And that's where we'll leave it. Hmm. Okay, that's, yeah, that's an odd one. I don't know what that could be referencing. But well, yeah. I don't either. But you will notice that I said that you have, it's the person about to be elected president. So therefore, depending on which way your political leanings go, you could say that maybe Doc or maybe Marty succeeded or maybe he failed in preventing, you know, what was about to happen. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not making be, any judgments. I'm just saying this, this is be, what happened. And it could be any president from, you know, 1980, well, 2000. Oh, no, yeah, 2016, 2016, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it all depends who in the version, you know, in the Back to the Future universe right. would be running for president. Right. At could, that time, be could be anybody. Could be anybody. Because we never get political. That's so right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, that's my after the credit scene. So, Phil, uh, I think it's time to go back to the trivia. So what have you got for us? <laughs> okay, so some trivia for Back to the Future 3. Uh, Clint Eastwood was asked permission about his name being used for Marty in the film because that's who Martin McFly says he is yep. when he's talking to people. Yep. He agreed and was apparently quite tickled for that uh, for his name to be used. That's awesome. Uh, and when Buford Mad Dog Tannen tried to lynch Marty in the film, Michael J. Fox was accidentally hanged for a moment and went unconscious for a few short for a short while. That's scary. Yeah. Uh, the drive-in theatre that was constructed for the film was knocked down after filming and no film was ever actually screened there. I think that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, seriously. Shown the first Back to the Future films with the cast and crew. <laughs> right, right. That would have been good. Uh, and when Marty f- finally returns to 1985, he is apparently, somebody did the math, he's apparently 14 days, 3 hours and 27 minutes older than he should have been because of all his time travel shenanigans. And hmm. um, the town built for Back to the Future 3 was apparently destroyed by lightning in 1996, which is quite ironic. Oh, yeah, seriously. Yes. But that's uh, Back to the Future 3. All right, there you go. So there they are. Those are our endings for The Relic and Back to the Future 3 slash the Back to the Future trilogy. And now it is time to move on to our 100 stars of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein Phil and I take a famous actor or actress and share our top five performances by said actor or actress. And this week we are doing Sandra Bullock. Yes, so Sandra Bullock, she's been in many, many films covering a whole range of genres. So there's plenty to choose from. Hey, but first of all, what do you think of Sandra Bullock, Mike? You know, I've always I've always really liked her uh, from her first a couple of early movies, you know, like Demolition Man and Speed. I always thought she was, you know, just super adorable and and fun and, and you know, quirky and cute. And then she, you know, really branched out as an actor and, and got into doing some, you know, some heavier roles and some different kinds of roles. And I think she's fantastic for the most part. Yeah, I think yeah. she's really talented. And, you know, not every movie she's made has been great, but, you know, I've never seen her give really a bad performance, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I like her a lot. Yeah, I agree with you on all, all counts there. Yeah, she's she's just, yeah, she's got nice, very likable, even in the films where she's playing off very likable characters. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty easy list to put together. She's had a lot of great performances, but definitely there were some that stood out for me. Oh, that's good. Uh, well, do you want to kick things off? Sure thing. I'll start. My number five, then, is The Proposal from 2009, where she plays Margaret Tate alongside Ryan Reynolds. It's a romantic comedy. Um, it is a very fun film. I do enjoy this film. My wife loves it. It's a good rom-com. It was a big hit for her. Uh, kind of came after a string of some films that didn't do so, so well, and it kind of reinvigorated her brand, I think, a little bit, because it was a massive hit at the box office. Um, but I do, I do like this film a lot. I think she does a good job though, of playing sort of this cold fish character. She's a book editor, and she sort of has to fake getting married to Ryan Reynolds so she can stay in the country. Um, And she's very all business. And, you know, throughout the film, she has to kind of learn to loosen up. And, you know, she falls in love with Ryan Reynolds' family. And, of course, she falls in love with him. Um, And, I, you know, it's it's kind of a time-honored role, that sort of rom-com of two people who don't get along, and then they thaw out towards each other as they go. But uh, I think she does a really good job. And and at that point, especially, it's kind of playing against type because she's always so likable and so fun. And here she was as definitely the you know, the straight man to Ryan Reynolds, you know, comedic foil. Yeah, yeah. So 
so I thought it was a good one, and that's uh, that's my my number five, the proposal. Yeah, I do quite like that one as well. I've only saw it the once though, so uh, yeah. I think I think it might have been on a flight somewhere, so I probably didn't take it all in. Right, right, right. It's one of those movies I found in our house. If it's on TV and my wife is flipping around, we'll end up watching the rest of it because it's yeah. just funny. And Betty White is in it and she's great. Oh, yeah, she's always good. Okay, now it's a good choice. Uh, didn't make my list, but no, it's a next, uh, very nice choice. Okay, my number five is uh, Demolition Man. Yeah, she plays Lieutenant Lenina Huxley. And this is one way back in 1993. Uh, she's playing opposite Celeste Sloan and everything. I quite like this because it's all the police in this, all a bit naive and a bit, not dumb, but they're just not used to dealing with crime. I like the... The perky kind of can-do attitude she have, she has, and just the way she was dealing with, she was a fan of twentieth uh, century stuff, and it was just, it was just a fun character. It wasn't that deep a dive into things, but I just like the fact in this this future world and opposite Sandra, uh, opposite Sylvester Stallone. I just like the whole, yeah, the whole vibe she brought to the role. Uh, yeah, just, uh, just a nice fun role, and we went after the ending for demolition man way back in episode 12 wow wow yeah that was a long time ago <laughs> I, I didn't realize it was that long ago me neither wow okay yeah, well that's uh, that's crazy. my number five all right great pick and I, I do i love that movie and i love her in that role it didn't make my list it probably would have been like my number six i just you know as, yeah, as yeah, with yeah. so many of these actors you just can't fit it all on there you know yeah yeah all right, well, my number four is uh, one of her most recent films. It is from 2018, and it's the role of Mallory in Bird Box, the Netflix phenomenon, uh, which I know oh, had... Oh, nice choice. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I know that's kind of a controversial film. I know some people think it was overhyped and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, everything popular, people have to decide they hate it and whatever. That's fine. I mean, it's, it certainly isn't a perfect film. But I do think her performance in it is actually a really strong one. I, I think that, you know, it's a, it's a hard film. She plays a hard character, and... I think it's it's tough for a woman to play a character who doesn't necessarily have the most maternal instinct. Yeah, yeah, okay. For, you yeah, know, yeah. and and I, I think that's the natural is for the, the 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 woman actor, the woman character to always be the the mothering, nurturing type. And in this film, she's not. It's the dad character who's more of that, and she's more about survival, especially because one of the kids isn't isn't her biological, and so. Uh, she's a little harsh in this film, but in a you know, but again, she sort of comes around some, and so I also think there's some some good physicality to the role. You know, having to do a lot of the scenes blindfolded, I'm sure couldn't have been easy. But uh, I do think it's a good role. It's a good dramatic performance, and it's in a in a you know a tough genre film that had a lot of neat you know ideas behind it. So that's yeah. my number four. Yeah, I quite enjoyed the film. I just said I know it had lots of lots of people you know having a go at it, but I I enjoyed it for what it was and her performance. Yeah, I just say it wasn't a very likable character. Right. Right. But, she but that really doesn't, good. you know. But that's, yeah. I think that's that's a part of what makes a good performance is you have to be able to play characters that people don't love. Oh, def, definitely, yeah, definitely. That's what that's. I, I liked it, liked it as well. The fact, yeah, from the beginning, yeah, just it was it was a different kind of role. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It didn't quite make my list, but yeah, I could see it was close. It almost made yeah. it. I think it was on my short yeah. list, and then got pushed back a little bit. But uh, good choice. Thank you. Excellent choice. Uh, my fourth one is uh, from 1994, and it's Speed, uh, where she plays stars opposite Keanu Reeves, and it's. Uh, she, I mean, you could have had another, uh, a lesser actress could have be, been in this role and just been, uh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> yeah, she's the, you know, just the female lead opposite the hero guy. But uh, Sandra Bullock held, held her own against Keanu Reeves and the action and things. And she was an integral to the, character was integral to the plot, but she just pumped it up a bit more, made the character a lot more memorable. Yeah, Sandra Bullock's role in that just it really stands out. I agree. I agree so much, in fact, that it's my number three pick. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, and, you know, obviously everything you said about it I, hold, I think holds true. What I really like about this performance beyond the fact that I love the movie is that she has a really difficult role in that she is sort of the 
the voice of optimism in a way. She's kind of the light character that brings some humor to the proceedings, but she can't go too far in that direction or it's not realistic because she's on a bus with a bomb on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But by the same token, she can't go too far into the direction of hysterics and panic because then the bomb's going to go off. So I think it's a really interesting blending of sort of having to stay positive and optimistic, but also you know, having to let that panic and, and fear show through once in a while also, you know, and I think that she does a really good job of that. And I think it's a tough balancing act. So it, I, I, it's a better performance than I think a lot of people give it credit for because of the movie just being a big action spectacle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, she's got a lot to do. She has to do a lot in it to make it work. Right. All while, you know, basically while driving a bus, which doesn't make it yeah. easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, that's my number stuff. three is speed. Excellent. I like that. Okay. Well, my number three is uh, While You Were Sleeping. It's another one from the 90s. 1995, she plays a character called Lucy who uh, falls in love with a guy who's in a coma uh, and gets to know his family and things like this and ends up actually falling in love with somebody else. But uh, this was another nice... It's a romantic comedy, uh, and again, but she's she's the main character in it. She's in pretty much every scene, from what I recall, and it's a, it's a bit of a bizarre setup, but she just... It's 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 once again she just she just does great things in this role which could have been lost with a lesser actress. Uh, it's funny, it's quirky, deals with lots of different emotions, uh, dealing with lots of. She's playing opposite some some big big names who've been acting for years, uh, but she holds her own against them all. Uh, great chemistry between her and, and uh, Bill Pullman, uh, and yeah, it's it's a. It's a fun romantic comedy, and she just—it's—it's it's a great role, and she does wonders with it. All right, good pick. I—I I didn't include this on my list because I'm actually just not a big fan of that film. Oh, okay. uh, I haven't seen it since it came out because I really didn't like it very much. So I know yeah, it's yeah. a big hit for her. Uh, just didn't do it for me. So yeah. I don't—I don't love films where everything is predicated on a misunderstanding that can be cleared up with one sentence, uh, and that's one of those movies to me. <laughs> that's, you know, where that's all she should do yeah, is yeah, say. Yeah. It was just a misunderstanding, and everything will be fine. But yeah, yeah, you know, so that that always irks me, and I have a hard time getting over that. But uh, she was good in it, though. Oh, so. I can understand that, though. Yeah. All right. Well, my number two is from two thousand and nine. It is her performance in The Blind Side, where she plays the real life character of Leanne Tui, uh, and it is the film for which she received her uh, first, and I believe only to this point, Oscar award of her best actress. Um, which is not why I put it on my list, but because I do remember. You know, I watched this movie. I like the movie. It's not like a favorite or anything, but it's pretty good. I did kind of feel like she sort of got like the Sandra Bullock career retrospective award. You know what I mean? Where yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. the the Academy is like, oh, this actor is really good, and we haven't we haven't awarded them with anything yet. And this year, you know, it's a it's you know either the rest of the contestants have won awards or whatever, so we're gonna give it to her. Um, but that's not to take away from the fact that I do think it's a really good performance. You know, she's she's fiery and she's got her little southern accent and her, you know, her outfits and everything. And she she sort of takes on a, a, this very motherly role, uh, but not in a necessarily a warm and fuzzy way. You know, she's tough. She's yeah, a firebrand. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, I think it's a really fun performance. Like I said, the movie itself is solid, but nothing spectacular. But I do think she's quite good in it. So that's my number two. That's a good, good choice. It was almost on my list. It'd probably be the number six because yeah, she was she was great in the role. Right, uh, but yeah, didn't just quite make it for me. But no, nice, Fair nice enough. pick. Uh, my number two though is from two thousand. This one is Miss Congeniality. Mm, good choice. Uh, because I just I like the whole. She's playing a tough, tough FBI agent on the one hand, and then she has to get trained to go undercover as on a you know in a beauty pageant, which is just the total opposite of that kind of thing. And she does. She's just really good at being this tough person who just doesn't give a damn about you know what other people think. Uh, she just wants to get the job done. And you know it's it's believable as well. You could see being like that, you know, holding her own with all the 
all the guys in the office and the FBI and just going out and taking down bad guys. Uh, and then she turns it around and shows the naivety of her character when it's put in with all these... Well, not the naivety, but in a way, it's, yeah, but in, in one aspect, but also her, her wisdom and street toughness going up against all these people in the beauty pageant. Uh, it's just, it's a nice dichotomy shown between the two. And she does, it's just, it's lots of fun. Very good pick. I do like that movie quite a bit and, and she's great. And I do think it's funny that she kind of plays like this person who's sort of clueless about like beauty and, and looks and stuff, even though she's obviously a very attractive woman. And I'm sure she, you know, knows quite a bit about that stuff, but that's what I think makes it a good performance, you know? Yeah, well, it's, I don't, I never act like I'm good looking, so. <laughs> well, there you go. See, so yeah. if you I'm can assu- do it, I'm, she assu- can I'm assuming do people, it. you know, probably do think I am. Right, of course. When I'm walking down a, when I'm walking down the street, people do stop and stare and point, like Donald <laughs> right. Sutherland at the end of uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, there you go. Oh no, maybe that means something else. No, no, no. I'm sure it's, it's <laughs> just your your physical specimenness that yeah. they're uh, you yeah. know impressed by. I like to think so. All right, very good. So, well, my number one then is another more recent film. It's from 2013. Ooh, I think you might have the same one. And it is Gravity. Excellent, yes. It's also my number one. I had a feeling it might. I had a feeling this might be the one that we, we both picked. I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a terrific performance. It's an amazing movie. Um, but I do think what I like about it so much is not just the range of emotions she goes through, but the fact that she acted almost the entire film against a blue screen, you know, a green screen, whatever color screen they yeah, used. Um, yeah. You know, that's not easy, I don't think. I mean, she didn't even have a faceplate. Like, even her, her like, astronaut faceplate was CGI'd in, you know, and uh, if you've seen any of the behind-the-scenes footage, there was very little actual set in a lot of parts of the film, and I, I think that's really impressive from both an acting, like an emotional acting standpoint and a physical acting standpoint. Yeah, because she was probably being in a harness and on wires for lots of it as well. Yeah, yeah, that just can't be easy, you know. No, yeah. So you got to, yeah, and it's veg, it's virtually just her, apart from some brief scenes with George Clooney. Right, right. Which is hard to do, also. I mean, she's basically carrying this entire film by herself. She's got to, you know, sort of talk to herself, and then you know, talk to other people, sort of, not really, but a little bit, and and just you know, she has to sort of carry this entire film on her back. Uh, with very little to act off of, and I think that's really, really an impressive feat. Oh, totally! Yeah. And you got to bring across. You got to, you got to make us. You got to let us know what the characters like. They make us care about the character, and then so on, and then go through all the different emotions and things that the character goes through, and deal with all the crap that they do. And it's, uh, it did. She did get nominated again for an Oscar for this one, and you know you can see why because it's well, yeah. uh, the work she put into it. It must, it must have been tiring and soul destroying at some points, but it was just, it was <laughs> well sure. worth it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. All right. Good. So we have both had the same. Uh, both had the same number one, and uh, I think we both had speed on there. But the rest of our choices were different. So that's a pretty good list. Yeah. Very good list. I like that. All right. There you go. So that is our top five Sandra Bullock performances, and that is going to start to wrap up our episode for this week. But before we go, and before we get to our Avengers discussion at the very end, Phil, tell people what we're going to be discussing in next week's episode. Okay. Yeah. So next time we're going to be going after the ending of Tommy Boy and also 1976 Network. And we'll be looking at our top five performances of Will Smith. So you could say we'll be getting jiggy with it. <laughs> you you could, uh, but I'm going to choose not to. <laughs> yes, uh, I don't blame you. Thank you. However, I, I will say uh, that that's going to wrap us up for now. So as always, we thank you greatly for listening. Don't forget to stick around if you've seen Avengers Endgame already and you want to hear what we have to say about it. Stick around after the outtakes. We'll share our thoughts. If you haven't seen it, do not stick around after the outtakes because we are going to be spoiler filled. We're going to talk about this movie openly. Yes, because Batman dies in it. Oh. <laughs> 
That's right. So we don't want to ruin anything for anybody. But uh, that will do us for now. So thank you, as always, for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. And Phil, are you ready to go back to... I don't know what I'm saying. Great Scott, Mike. That was a great intro. <laughs> Come on, let's just get fast and loose, nice and easy. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Isn't that um, that movie series with all the cars, Fast and Loose, Nice and Easy? Yeah, the, is that the one Vin where Diesel? For, no, I think it's Vin Petrol, I think he's called. <laughs> right, it's, it's his cousin, the lesser known yeah. version. Isn't that the film by The Asylum? I think it's the, the spinoff. Yeah, probably. Right, exactly. I like the spinoff they've done though with the Stone and John Stamos. <laughs> what? Instead of The Rock and Jason Statham. Oh, the Stone God. and John Stamos. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what I love about you, Phil? Yeah. You've Everything. never met a joke you couldn't kill dead. Hey. Yeah. Do you always like to take it just, just a little farther than it needs to go to the point where all that can happen is groaning. And I love that no, about you. It's comedy torch. you got to push through that. And you got to push through. <laughs> and then you get through and it gets funny again. I love, I love that you have a name for it. Comedy torture. That's fantastic. Yeah, uh-huh. you got to keep on pushing through and you repeat the same joke over and over. You know, the Stone, John Stamos, uh-huh. instead yeah, of the Rock. Eventually, instead eventually of the Rock, Jason Statham, you got the Stone, John Stamos. I'm I'm cracking up on the inside. Oh, it's gonna. This is one of the best outtakes we've ever had. <laughs> it's something, all right. It deserves its own episode, and we could call oh, it. Oh, totally. Yeah, Fast and totally. Loose, the John Stamos story. <laughs> 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 hang on, I'm, I got a plane overhead, one of those big army planes flying around, so hang on a second. Oh, this is how it begins. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Phil, I saw the biggest movie of all time last weekend. Dumbo. Did you? Dumbo, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, but you I know what? Haven't you seen know Dumbo. what, though, Mike? I've got a feeling that we're in the end game now. Uh, getting, I... you know, it's after the episode. That's right. This is this is the end game of after the ending. So, oh look, we're like we're like tied in. It's like after the end game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I've listened to fourteen million different episodes. <laughs> And only one of them was any good. And it's this yeah, one. It's this one. As long as we get it right. But I can't tell you what we have to do to get it right. Because otherwise right. it won't happen. Uh, so, um, so as we mentioned at the top of the episode, Avengers Endgame opened. Uh, as we're recording this, it opened about five or six days ago. So yes. uh, by so the time you hear... Spoiler warning, spoiler warning, yes, spoiler warning. Yes. This is your last chance. Go away now. Spoilers galore. Heading up. Exactly. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, it's been about a week and a half since the movie's been out. So hopefully those of you uh, who are into our show uh, are probably the types of people, I'm guessing, who may have already seen this movie. Uh, but if you're not, like Phil said, spoiler, we're going to we're going to spoil everything. So stop listening now. Uh, if you have seen the movie, though, um, well, this is what we think about it. So, uh, Phil, let's start with just the broad strokes. How, how did you how did you feel about the film? 
Well, I've never seen any of the other Marvel movies, so I didn't have a clue what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, I thought it was great. I, I really, uh, to wrap up 10 years and 21 films, this is the 22nd, I think. Yeah, I believe that's uh, correct. But anyway, to, to do that and have it work as a cohesive, ongoing narrative we, woven amongst all the other stories and then wrap it up with uh, Infinity War and now Endgame, I think it's a stunning achievement and they did it really well. Yes. I, I enjoyed every moment of it. I want to see it again. Made me laugh, cry, and made me go, wow. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. I, I've actually seen it twice already. Um, and uh, uh, I, I love it. I mean, it does have, it does, it's not a perfect film. It's got, it's got a few flaws here and there, but, but they're flaws yeah, yeah, you can yeah. easily overlook. Um, and what I think, what I think I liked about it so much is that, you know, Marvel does such a good job of focusing on the characters. No matter how big their stories get, no matter how much action they fit into their movies, they always focus on the characters first so that the the payoffs in the film worked. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that when Tony dies at the end, you're, it's a gut punch to you. You know, when, when Peter and Tony hug, you're like, oh, I, like, I, I love that relationship. You know, yeah. um, you know Captain America when he decides to go back to, to Sharon. And I know people, some people have a problem with this, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, there's been that undercurrent of sadness and, you know, and hurt to him since he first came out of the ice at the end of, you know, Captain America, the first Avenger. And he's always, every every Captain America film has had a scene with Sharon in it or a reference to, I mean, to Peggy in it or a, or a reference to Peggy in it, something that kind of says, hey, I still miss this character, the love of my life. So that when he makes that decision, it's it's earned you know what i mean yeah, yeah yeah it's not just thrown in for the heck of it so to me what i love so much about it was that all these character pieces from the past 10 years you know paid off and that all of it felt realistic and and organic and not just thrown in like oh well now it's the end we should throw some character beats in it's like no it's always been about the characters and yeah, then absolutely. there just happens to be giant spectacular action on top of it you know yeah and there's lots of little nice things along the similar lines lots of Fan service and bits and pieces like he, he, we finally got to hear Captain America say Avengers Assemble. Yes, yes. Because I was being teased in so many different, th- you know, in like the other Avengers films and stuff. But when he finally said it, I was just going, oh, my God. And what a way to say it with all the portals <laughs> open up. And I was just going, ah, yeah. 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 And then also when you see, you know, Thanos, uh, he's battered down Thor. And, you know, suddenly you see Mjolnir, Thor's hammer suddenly rise in the air and you just smack into Thanos and you go, well, how's that happened? And then it just comes flying back and Captain America catches it and Thor goes, I knew it! And just (laughs) just like they're going, oh, wow, there's so many good bits. And again with Captain America when he's in the lift in the past and it's it's like a recreation of the bit from The Winter Soldier. Uh, But to get out of it, he goes, he whispers to sit well, he goes, Hail Hydra. And you're just going, wow. Just so many good little bits. Well, it's funny, Phil. You just you just laid out my two favorite scenes from the film. I mean, honestly, those really oh, okay, were. Okay. You know, when when the elevator scene happened, I was like, oh, they're going to do the whole fight over again. How perfect. It's so great. And then to not do that, to sidestep the expectations and have him just use the Hydra, you know, was so oh, brilliant. And too. I was like, I can't believe that my favorite line of the entire film is Hail Hydra. Do you know what I mean? Because it was just yeah, so yeah, well yeah. done. Uh, and that was my favorite scene up until... Cap got the hammer. And I was like, yes, because if anybody's worthy to carry that hammer, you know, for the hardcore geeks, for those who don't know, you know, Thor's hammer basically says, you know, whoever's worthy can lift the hammer of Thor and get his powers and blah, blah, blah. If anybody's worthy of holding that hammer, it's Captain America. You know, he is the paragon of virtue. 
Yeah. And I and again, love... again, it was teased in Age of Ultron as well when the Ultron are lifted and it sort yeah. of yeah. moves a little bit yeah. when Cap goes to pick it up. Right. Right, exactly, and I I love that they did that, and that they didn't they didn't shy away from it because I knew you know they had to know there were going to be some, you know, some purist fans out there who were going to say, well, only Thor should be able to hold the hammer, and blah blah blah. But I don't buy it. Captain America is worthy, you know, he's the best among them all, and that was yeah. that was so so great. Um, I yeah. really loved you know I really loved both of those. One of my other favorite lines was another one that's very simple, and it was also a callback to Winter Soldier, which is when the portal started opening and, and Falcon goes on your yeah. left. Yeah, oh, that was which brilliant. is of course yeah. you know a throwback to the very first scene of the Winter Soldier when you know Cap is running circles around him, uh, and I think that also speaks to their friendship. You know, uh, somebody I, I was talking to a friend of mine who didn't really love the fact that the Falcon got Captain America's shield because he was like, what you know they they've you know, they're not friends like him and Bucky are, you know, him and Bucky have all this history and everything. And I said, you know, I think a lot of the friendship between Sam and Cap was sort of off screen. Yeah. And between um, the intervening years, because they had, right. they had years before Infinity War, they had a couple of years as well on the run with uh, Black Widow and all that stuff as well. Yeah. And, he, and even before that with, you know, I thought Winter Soldier did a nice job of laying down the groundwork for it. Then there was an after credit scene in one of the films, I can't remember which, where, you know, Sam and, and Cap find Bucky together. And it, it gives you the impression that they're like basically traveling the country together, like looking for, you know, they're they're, they're doing things together as heroes and as friends. So I felt like that was yeah. justified, you know, but um, but I did really like that that line. And yeah, because the, film, the films the only scene. touch on small moments and in, in the the. the superhero career basically like the big moments right exactly yeah exactly it's not like we've got you know we see everything we only see these sort of big momentous occasions and i'm sure there's other stuff happening you know in between like they hinted at with avengers i mean the first scene of avengers ultron uh, age of ultron is is this team and it's you know it's the team of the avengers you know and they're basically like kind of at the end of a run of trying to find you know i forget what they're basically basically wiping out hydra they're just getting right they're wiping out hydra so you know they had these missions that they were working on together so you know, I, I, we, we, there's a lot of other Avengers stories we just didn't see on the big yeah, screen. Yeah, and there's also, you know? and the, there's lots of uh, uh, and stories we didn't see in the intervening five years. Because I remember watching uh, Endgame, and then they go fly off with Captain Marvel to the planet, find Thanos in his garden, and basically kill him. And I was going, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and then it flashes <laughs> up, well, flashes up quite slowly, five years later and i was going wow okay and a lot changed in those five years i mean you mentioned thor before he was suffering from severe ptsd (laughs) and he basically decided to pour his depression into playing video games and drinking and so what did you what do you think Uh of thor in the film i mean i really liked him because i i love that they've taken thor into the realm of being the comedic you know, hero being the comedy relief. And I've heard people yeah. complain about it's, that, it's, but yeah, I never would have thought to have not read the comics. I thought it would be the comedy one. Well, right. But I, and I, the here's because here's, and I make this argument all the time. People are like, well, I don't like that they made Thor into just a big joke. Here's the problem. I've said this before. I think I've said it on the show. Thor is an inherently boring character. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, he's, blonde and pretty and strong and he's just kind of like superman except that he's a god so like what's interesting to me about that is very little you know what i mean when he's not written well he's not that interesting and i think in the film world it's like okay we don't need another strong character we've got the hulk we've got iron man we've got captain america they're all strong yeah you know so what does thor offer besides some lightning here and there so to make him sort of the comedic character it brings a different a different level to him. It makes him much more interesting. And that's why I love Thor Ragnarok so much. So, you know, I thought it was great. I will say the one thing that I thought they missed an opportunity was 
when he gets the the hammer and the and the stormbreaker and he kind of flashes the lightning and then like his beard gets braided and stuff i thought that would have been a cool chance to have him like return to his previous yeah although i'm kind of glad they didn't have his physique go back to normal i quite like the fact it couldn't be it wasn't cured by magic it's just like yeah I could yeah. I could have done with some magic at that point, but it, I, I do like the fact that we had you know I for once I had a body like uh, an Avenger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 you and me both. But uh, I did I like that. And Chris Hemsworth just played it beautifully. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I like that he's obviously now. I'm thinking he's going to be in the next Guardians of the oh, Galaxy yeah, movie because that's how they sort of that ended with that. So, so I funny. thought that was yeah. really I, yeah. We, we all know who the captain yeah, is. Yeah. yeah, that was that was neat. But it also made me laugh though when uh, when Tony Stark moved past him and he calls him. He goes out the way, Lebowski. At one point, yeah, yeah. But also because yeah, I saw that, and I, I thought it was funny, even though I hate. Yeah, that but movie. also because Jeff Bridges was the bad guy in the first Iron Man movie. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's a bit. Ooh, what's going on there? I didn't even think <laughs> about that. <laughs> but that's uh, so. That was, so, what do you think about what they did with Hulk? I loved it actually, because I, you know, one of my favorite Hulk runs for years and years. He was that character where he was basically Bruce Banner in the Hulk's body, and that was in the series written by Peter David yeah. uh, for years. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. I love that one as well. That's one of my favorites. Professor Hulk or something. Right? Uh, so I th- I thought it was great. I think it played really well on screen. Um, and, and you can just do more with it in a story like this because, you know, Hulk is another character. He's great when he's written well, but he's kind of limited in what you can do with him if you're not trying to do something interesting with him because he's just this big hulking brute, you know. So to do the, yeah, yeah. you know, to do this version of the Hulk the way they did, it, it, I think it made for a much more interesting story. And also it was so funny when they flash back to the Avengers era you know, and, he, and yeah. you know, and Steve's like, maybe you should destroy a few things along the way. And he's all like, rawr, you know, yeah. and he like half-heartedly Arr. punches the car yeah. and stuff. Like, you know, great humor. I did like that. did like that a lot. And talking of humor, then what do you think of uh, Ant-Man, Paul Wood's Ant-Man? I thought it was, he did great. I thought he, had, he um, I, I liked, I really loved the emotional scene between him and his daughter. You know, I got tears at, at that point. Oh, God, yeah. That was, you know, when he was looking at, well at the names. Y- yeah. He's going, oh, you could just panic because we both got kids. Yep. Just go in a panic, you'd feel. And I just I like the fact though as well he has be, he was like without Ant Man they wouldn't have they wouldn't have been able to do right, this right right yeah he was able to be an important character you know he's been more of a side character for a lot of it so it was nice yeah. to see him kind of step up and you know and also we had some of the the funniest lines like you know Back to the Future's and all these other <laughs> right. ones as well just uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I liked that, they, that some of the characters who haven't always gotten a chance to shine got a chance to shine in this film a little bit too. Um, you know, I thought yeah. that you know, Rhodey, you know, War Machine having a big part was really nice. Uh, that was really you know, nice. Nebula getting a, a big part was nice. I thought. Um, I, I was going to say I was surprised at how big a role she had. I was I was made up because I, I never would have thought of much in the first Guardians of the Galaxy that she'd be have such a big thing and become. Such a big part of the important part of the team, right? I really like that what they did with it with Nebula. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I um, I, I thought I thought that was really neat as well. Um, and I do say, I do have to say I love again going back to the character moments. You know, when they started flashing back or going back in time to some of the previous moments in the other films, which I thought, of course, was a brilliant conceit. I love them going back to the events of the Avengers and you know and and uh, you know all those different time periods and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Thor: The Dark World. He made you know Thor: The Dark World. Yeah, right. More important because that's lots of people consider that one one of the worst right. ones, even though I quite, right. I quite enjoyed yep. it. But, um, but yeah, I liked what they did. I with did that. too. I loved Rene Russo having the part that she did, and yeah, it was nice was, to see her. That again. was brilliant. Scene. Beautiful scenes, and I, I really, yeah. really love the scenes between Tony Stark and his father. I thought those were some of the best scenes in oh, the film. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I love John Slattery as, as Howard Stark anyway, but just it was 
again, it was that character moment that really lets you get invested in these characters so that it's not just all action all the time. And that I thought was great. I thought the whole concept of you know Tony having this kid and being a changed man you know, it was terrific. And then having to the ability to talk to his father with a new perspective, you know, it was yeah, really moving, yeah. I thought. Yeah, really well acted between the pair of them. It was a nice thing to see. It was nice to see Tony Stark's character develop. But we'll probably leave, leave Iron Man for a little bit longer because it's there's a big part of the thing. But what about where Black Widow and Hawkeye? Then? Well, I'll tell you, the first time I saw the film, I thought it was going to be Hawkeye that sacrificed himself. And I, I kind of felt yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. You know, I kind of felt like, oh, I, I kind of wished it was Hawkeye almost, um, mostly because of his terrible haircut. But um, <laughs> I didn't love the haircuts in this movie. I didn't love his haircut or, yeah, or yeah. Captain Marvel's haircut. But um, but then I realized on, on reflection that it made more sense for it to be Scarlet Witch because we saw the disappearance of half. No, for Black Widow. Black Widow. Who did I say? You said Scarlet Witch. I always do that. Witch. I always say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Black Widow, because we saw the disappearance of half the population through Clint's eyes. It was the very first scene in the movie was his family disappearing, which was devastating. Yeah, and yeah. so to then have him die and not be able to come back to reunite with his family, I think would have sort of defeated the whole purpose of the film. You know, um, not entirely yeah. because obviously people can come back, but it was sort of that it was like a nice bookend was him watching his family disappear and then going through this journey and then getting to reunite with them. I think if you take that away from the audience, you're, you're, you're leaving something out, you know, whereas black widow didn't have a family. So it made more sense. I was surprised though. I was surprised yeah. that they decided to kill her character. I was surprised that was her, but I think as well though, for the character as well, I think she, she wanted to do it. Well, to save a friend because she wanted her friend to get his family back. Right. But also she, she mentioned the first Avengers film, she had a lot of red in her ledger and she wanted to get rid of it. Yeah. She's, She's done a lot of bad things in the past and she wanted to repay. Yeah. But I was surprised. But also as well, on another level, because there's been, there's been talks and interviews that they want Captain Marvel to be sort of like leading the Avengers and, you know, going forward. Sure, sure. And if, uh, Black, if Black Widow was still around, she'd be the obvious choice to right. lead the Avengers because she's she's one of the old crew. But I was thinking, you know, because it's talk of a Black Widow movie mm -hmm. still being yep. made and talk of it being a prequel. In the comics, some of the people who died by the you know the infinity gauntlet ended up being in the stole stone right so i'm wondering whether this prequel could actually be black widow in the soul stone and she doesn't realize it first and it's going through her past yeah i mean i think that she's an easy one to bring back because the soul stone mm. has in the comics has never been you know uh you know definitive to where they could, never could get somebody out of it i mean they've, they've used that device so they certainly could bring her and back and also though because because gamora as well was Although she's in this film, but it's the older version of right. it. Gamora was was uh, sacrificed by Thanos for the Soul Stone. Although we never and find out for sure what happens to her because, yeah, you know. Oh, that, that, that's the one that they bring back there. But there was still the one originally that we knew originally. She was in the Soul right. Stone. She was sacrificed as well. And so Black Widow and Gamora are both like the most deadliest women in the universe. So I'm wondering whether Gamora will show up in the Black Widow. The Gamora we saw in Endgame. We don't actually see where she goes, which I right. We don't see weird. her turn to dust with Thanos' forces, so yeah. we don't really and there's nothing know. More. We just, yeah. you know what? Now we didn't see her on the Guardian ship at the end, but who's to say that there wasn't? We, we just see Peter Quill. We see Peter Quill's been running a search for her, and there's nothing found. Right. That's all we get. Right. So maybe he was searching for her, like her her 2014 version that was still in the present, you know, in the 2023 yeah. or whatever. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, yeah, but interesting. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Uh, so. Um, what about Captain Marvel? I mean, besides hating her haircut, I thought she was going to have a bigger part yeah. in the movie, to be honest with you. I did as well. But I wonder if um, part of the problem with that is because she's so powerful, it sort of makes it, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, because it's not like Thor I just thought, I thought it was weird. I thought it was weird. I mean, yeah, if you have super powerful characters, you've got to 
be able to write it well. And I just thought her saying, well, it's really, I'm really busy out here Yeah. in the universe. Yeah. It's not just you, it was a bit of a cop-out. Yeah. I mean, yes and no, I guess. Ha- it does does make sense. Like she said, there's a thousand other worlds that have this problem and none yeah. of them have you guys. I thought that sort of put it into perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, because she has been out in space all this time. So maybe she's dealing with, you know, things on the scroll, wherever, you know, whatever world the yeah. scroll settled on and the Cree and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it, I felt like she could have been utilized more. That would be one of the flaws for the movie for me. And I felt as well the way she was the one who, you know, rescued Tony Stark and Nebula. Right. Where she was just suddenly there. I know we saw briefly at the end credits of the Captain Marvel movie meeting up with the Avengers, but may I think maybe a little bit more build-up. Yeah. Just would have been... Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. and this is a good segue. But that's one. That's one of my like uh, the things about the film that didn't quite work. Yeah, I was going to say let's let's segue into what were some of the problems you had with the film. Well, that was one of them. Also, the fact having Thanos, the you know the uh, pre Infinity Gauntlet version, show up again as the big bad. I thought once they killed Thanos, I thought okay, that was I didn't expect mm. that, and then I was wondering whether they'd go another way and have another big bad show up i'm still i think that would have been that sure. would have been pushing it for me i think though to have another yeah. new character you'd have to introduce who's as powerful as thanos i mean, I mean who else are you going to have that you would literally need yeah, the true. combined might of every but, single avenger ever to take on you it know? just seemed it just seemed to take away from the fact you know the big character build up we saw him in the first one I, he just basically just became a guy who's going to go oh i'm just going to kill everyone hmm. yeah i I, just, I, I, know, I know it's a little thing it worked, it worked I'm gonna, well and you do need to agree to disagree with you on that one i actually thought that was a great progression from hey I, i've had this you know i I've had this whole plan to take out half the life in the universe, but you guys just can't deal with it. You know what I mean? The, what did he say? That the people yeah, yeah, who, yeah. you know, the people who uh, you know what they had can't learn to do without it or whatever. He says something like that. And so then he's like, fine, then I'm just going to wipe you all out and start from scratch because you're ungrateful. Yeah. You know, I, I thought that was kind of a neat progression. And I think it fit with his character. Right. So I didn't have a problem with that personally. Okay. But uh, also, though, he seemed to be without his without any of the Infinity Stones, he seemed to be almost a little bit more powerful. Than, uh, than the 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 Thanos we saw at the start of the Infinity War because yeah. he was taking on Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man for a long time and just holding his own against all of them. Right. Yeah. But he did take on the Hulk in the first. Yeah, as I say, again, it's, it's a small, it's a small little yeah. thing. Yeah. Those are not the things I had problems with. <laughs> Go on. What what problems did you have? Uh, I didn't have a lot that I can think of. Um, you know, haircuts. I yeah. think that the uh, you know the first hour for a three hour film, I felt like the first hour of the film maybe they could have trimmed down a little bit here or there, but overall, um, I was fine with that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm blanking to be honest with you. I mean, I, I know I had a few issues with it here and there, but overall, I, I loved it. And at the moment, I just can't think of anything that really stood stood out that much to me. Yeah, on the whole, I think I think Infinity War is probably. A slightly, it's probably a better story, mm-hmm. and also because it was that we it was you were following Thanos more than anything, and it was more, even though it was all the characters, and it was more, a, not a smaller story, but it was like a, a more solid story. Whereas Endgame felt almost like three separate acts right. all put together because right. you had you had the opening, you know, total dismay, despair, and everything. Then you had the time heist, and then you had the big uh, the end battle, which was just amazing. But it's just. It was all done really, really well. Yeah, I'll, I'll say and one of the things I loved about the film was that, you know, with so many characters to focus on, I felt like all of the main characters got the screen time they needed to get, yet yeah, yeah. Captain America and Iron Man still managed to be the main focus of it, which is, you know, they're the two kind of first Avengers. They were the films that sort of started everything off. Their friendship has been at the thrust of so many of these films, especially like Civil War. It was nice to see them patch up their, their friendship for one, but I, I do like yeah. that 
they those two characters really got the send off that they deserved, and I think they're sort of the the architects of the Marvel universe from a character perspective. Um, so I'm glad yeah. that they did, neither one of them got short shifted. You know what I mean? Short shifted. Yeah. Um, they they both got the the screen time they needed. They got the character moments they needed. You know, I didn't feel let down with anything that happened with with Tony Stark or Steve Rogers, and that was important for me. I yeah. think because I do love those characters. I, I, I totally agree. Then, so well, let's talk about Iron Man. Then, what did you think about the end of Iron Man? I thought it was great, except for my. There's one of my problems with the film. I still can't figure out how he got the stones from the one gauntlet to the other. Uh, they sort of brushed over yeah. that. I, I can imagine it has something to do with the fact that he built the first gauntlet, so it's Stark tech. So there's some sort of, yeah, you know, so but that was kind of like fighting. Yeah, doing, hmm, yeah, it was a yeah. little quick. I wish they had maybe struggled a little longer hand to hand. So there was more time for Tony because I watched it the second time and they really are like hand to hand for about a second. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like I wish they had been kind of maybe locked in a struggle longer. But anyway, um, no, I thought it was great. You know, I mean, I think Robert Downey Jr.'s appeared in what, like of the 22 Marvel films, like 10 of them or something. He's, you know, been in more movies than anybody else. Oh, yeah. He's been a huge post. Yeah. Loads of and I th- it's it's, you know, his character is great. We saw him in the very first Avengers almost sacrificing himself to save, you know, the world. So I think this yeah. is kind of a neat way to bookend that with him actually sacrificing himself to save the world. I thought it was it was if. You know, he's sort of the the biggest, the top tier character and actor of the bunch. So for him to be the one to sacrifice everything in the end was really moving. I, I you know, I, I thought oh, yeah. the way yeah. they framed the whole story around, you know, kind of him and his, you know, with his daughter and everything. And I, I thought it was a very fitting end. And while I will be the saddest part for me isn't that we won't get to see Iron Man anymore, or get to see Tony Stark anymore. It's that we won't get to see the Tony Stark and Peter Parker relationship anymore yeah, yeah. because I love the two of them together. And I love yeah that was really really well yeah done. I love that it was like the picture of him and Peter that sort of made him change his mind about helping and I love that that hug between the two of them when Peter's just babbling on and Tony just hugs him like and that goes back to the scene in Homecoming where you know yeah yeah in the in the, in the limo, he reaches yeah. over to let him out of the car and Peter hugs him and he's like yeah we're not there yet you know but but now they are yeah. you know and you yeah. know the first thing he says to Cap when he gets back is you know I lost the kid like it's clear that he has so much affection for Peter so that I'll miss I'll really miss seeing the two of them together but i'm okay with it yeah. you know i think that after all the movies he's done he's he's allowed to retire so to speak you know yeah and that, that final bit when he just goes i am iron man that was just wow <laughs> yeah yeah that was awesome and then snapped his fingers yeah yeah but uh and also the nice the nice farewell scenes with tom holland spider-man and also uh, gwyneth paltrow's pepper pots yeah yeah uh, it was a nice thing uh, what she said to him was nice because yeah. he's ever since the battle of new york he always had that you know he had the the panic you know he had to protect the planet yeah. and his people who loved and yeah. things uh, but also i also like seeing pepper Potts uh pepper Potts uh, suit up as rescue as well and see the two of them fighting together i would like to have seen a few more scenes of iron man and rescue uh fighting during the big battle right. but uh, yeah it was nice you got those i know moments. some people complained about some of the some of the people who didn't get more screen time during the battle like Groot and, and bucky you know the winter soldier and stuff like that but I, it yeah. just you know it's a three-hour film already you've got like a hundred characters yeah. on screen yeah you know it just something had to give i think yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. There's also there's a. I just want to go back near, near when a uh, Black Widow is like getting reports and from Captain Marvel and the others on the hologram things, and they were talking about the undersea earthquakes. Yeah, they can deal with. I'm wondering, is this a little tease for Namor? Do you think it could be, yeah. or maybe even a Fantastic Four movie since they now have them yeah. back, where where Namor is going to appear as maybe a villain or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And also because go, going back to Ant Man and the Wasp as well, because they talk about you know they want to get the bad guys want to get the lab to sell to like some billionaire, some some big buyers. I'm wondering if that's somehow linked with like Doctor Doom, right? Right. 
want to get the technology. But that's that's by the by. That's just little things I was picking. Yeah, up. yeah. There was a lot of stuff uh, like that. But, uh, you, can, you can kind of wonder yeah. about for the future. Yes. So I'm looking forward to the next bit. What did, what do you think about Captain Captain America? Then when we find, you know, he goes back and comes. We just see that. So I've heard people complain about this, saying it's out of character for Captain America because, you know, he would have always wanted to help and, you know, things like that in the past. And obviously we know that he didn't from the timeline. And and, I'm, and I understand where people are coming from with that because that is Steve Rogers' character. He's not going to sit back while, you know, Hydra attacks or something like that. But – yeah, Well, well I, did, I did read the, the Russo interviews. Uh, the Russo brothers who made the film and wrote the film uh, – involved – well, directed the film. They were saying that – old Steve Rogers, yeah, he did go back and, and the rules of their time travel, he did live an alternate timeline. So that's how he's got the, he's, that's how he's got an unbroken shield and he's just, there was some way he jumped to the prime timeline that we know yeah, to, uh, I guess. to that, speak to them. That that works if you so, want to go with that. I just yeah. I just felt like maybe he felt like, you know, I've literally saved, you know, two billion people from being blinked out of existence. I've saved the world again. I think I deserve a rest, you yeah. know. But again, that goes back to yeah. what I was saying earlier. There was always that undercurrent of sadness in him ever since he came out of the ice. So to me, yeah. if he was just, oh, I'm happy, I love the the world the way it is today, you know, blah, 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 it would have felt disingenuous. But he was always pining for the past. He was always pining for Peggy Carter. So to make that decision to go back and be with her, to me it felt in character with the Captain America of the movies. Oh, I yeah, I totally agree with you, yeah. You yeah. know, maybe the comic character's a little different, but from the movie's perspective, I think he feels like, hey, I literally saved the world. I can't change anything in the past because it's going to create timelines, so I'm, I'm not going to step in. I'm just going to basically retire as Captain America, let history play out as it does, because I know that come 2023 or whatever, we're going to save the entire Earth from billions of people being killed. So, you know, yeah. I'm okay with it. I was okay with it. It was a nice moment, and it was nice to see him and Peggy, you know, get to live their lives together. Yeah, but uh, one thing I would have liked to have seen, though, is because he was going back to, to drop off the Infinity Stones from where they were taken from the different t- from the timeline. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen his encounter with the Red Skull. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when he, when he dropped off the Soul Stone, just to see what that conversation would <laughs> right, be. Right, that would have been cool. <laughs> but that's, that's just one little quibble about it all. But, uh, yeah, on the whole, I did, like, I did like the way it wrapped up Captain America, Iron Man. And um, Thor makes sense as well because he just he's just going to go away and because he's immortal and he's just going to have fun. Yeah, well, I think they learned with Thor Ragnarok yeah. how much fun he can be in kind of a crazy out there setting yeah. rather than just being on Earth, you know? So I think it'll be fun yeah, to see what yeah. kind of space-bound adventures he gets up to with the Guardians. Yeah, that's going to be lots of fun. Or the Asgardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. I did like that. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah, so many things. I'm It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward. Yeah, yeah. If there's one thing I've learned, it's uh, I've got faith in Marvel. You know, they've taken all kinds yeah, of characters yeah. and made them into great films and, and, you know, great movies. So, you know, at this point, until they start making bad movies, I'm going to keep on going to see them and I'm going to keep believing that I'm going to enjoy them because they haven't given me a reason to think otherwise yet. Totally. And whatever does happen, we've got the Infinity Saga, these 22 films, which has been a hell of a journey and a hell of an exactly. achievement and I've loved every minute of it. Absolutely. All right. Well, there you go. So there's our thoughts on Avengers Endgame. I'm sure that there's some stuff we're missing, but, you know, this is just sort of our, our little quick debrief about the film. We both loved it. Hopefully, uh, if you've listened to this, you've seen it and hopefully you liked it too. But uh, if not, you know, let us know what you thought. Or if you do, just let us know what you thought. Drop us a line share your opinions. Phil, you want to tell people how they can do that? Yeah, well, you can get in touch uh, on any of the any of the podcast platforms that you're listening to. There's, there's usually ways of leaving comments and things on lots of different ones. Uh, so if you listen to us, leave us a comment on there or a review, whatever you think. You can also uh, find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com backslash after the ending podcast. I'm on Twitter 
at after underscore the ending. Uh, Mike, do you want to tell them the email address? Yeah, it's after the ending at verizon.net. So shoot us an email, tell us what you thought, and uh, maybe we'll share some of your thoughts in a future episode. All right, there you go. So they're gonna, we're going to keep the, the wrap-up brief because we've already finished our episode. This is just our extra thoughts. But thanks for sticking around. Hope you enjoyed the movie, and we'll see you next week. Oh.